to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, we've been doing this for <laughs> way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. Now move in, now move out, hands up, now hands down, back up, back up, tell me what you're gonna do now. Keep rolling, 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 ah, keep rolling, 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 what? Keep rolling, 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 ah, keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Woo, shit. I do not know how those motherfuckers kept that. They must have had a couple guys singing, like, you know, call and response, because I almost passed out there. Hello, everyone. DM Dave. Rock and roll DM. Uh, that is the one and only time I think that Limp Biscuit will appear on Three Wise DMs. <laughs> I'll apologize to any Limp Biscuit fans out there. I'm not one of them. Anyway, but you used our one f bomb for this whole episode. Thanks. That's it. Oh, we have more than yeah. No, we are not PG-13. We got way more. This is not a Lord of the Rings thing, you know. So it's very auspicious for this episode, though, uh, because we're actually gonna we're gonna do something fun here. We have a question from a listener, from Jedi Shocker, actually, who has uh, been a longtime listener. And, and we've, we've talked several times uh, about uh, questions that they sent in. This one actually made us start thinking about other stuff. So just leading in, here's his question. OK, so I'm in the process of making a superhero campaign in 5e. I want to speed up the combat by changing the attacks, how the attacks work. I was planning on making basically like four tiers of bad guys, thugs, which are knocked out in one hit, henchmen in like two hits, captains in four to eight hits. At that point, he goes on talking about the main bad guys would be 15 to 20 hits. He has a larger party, which you sometimes do at tables, especially with certain systems. And he's hoping that it speeds it up because they're not having to roll to hit, then roll damage, calculate for each hit. Um, It would in essence be one hit. It does a certain damage in essence, like average damage and go on. He kind of says, what do you guys think about that? And we were talking last night at our uh, Dragonland session, which uh, we're, we're moving forward in that about when to roll and when to not roll, you know, keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Um, so with that and with Jedi shockers kind of entry, what do you guys think? I think static dam- damage definitely has its moments, but you know, I'm more of a fan traditionally of I don't think every hit is equal, particularly that's showcased in D&D. And that's nice. We're talking we're talking about when we should be rolling dice. Um, I would look at that. I, I want to start, I guess, from outside of combat and look at that. And one of the pl- complaints I get when I throw out clues, puzzles and all that stuff is that the characters don't have the intellect of. Uh, the players don't enjoy the intellect of the characters, rather. So they don't have mm. 20 intelligences, 19 wisdoms, and all that great stuff. So when do I have them roll? That's a great time. Like, here you go. You're not picking it up. Roll one of your relevant skills and let me throw you a clue. Yeah, definitely. Like, a, sometimes we play a little bit too much as ourselves versus our characters. But, I mean, I think kind of to uh, Jedi Shock's point, it's uh, a really great way to control the pace of the game, right? Like, if it's going really slow and or a roll to facilitate some kind of quick decision if everyone isn't kind of deciding or if you're having trouble deciding or something you just roll on it you know if things are going too fast you can use you can add some rolls in there to kind of slow it down and kind of to uh tony's point really is that to really enhance the point that it's the players themselves the characters 
that are doing these things, not the players. So you might not know these things. So you have to kind of give that room, the role room for the player, the, the character himself to be able to do it. Yeah, we've talked uh, we talked uh, several episodes back about how at this point now with my monsters NPCs, I have gone to straight static damage. And it's not just I started with it in the uh, finale for our Curse of Straw thing because I was rolling so many things. I didn't want to be calculating a, a level 20 fireball or something, you know, like 24 D6. Like that's not interesting to me in that way. Right. It does slow it down, uh, especially if I'm doing it for multiple monsters and pcs so i now use static damage across the board if you guys fight last night uh you fought one of the guardians of those gates that in essence is a clay golem is what it was right in terms of stat block so if you ever run across him again you kind of know now but regardless even if it's one thing yeah i'm just (laughs) using static damage because it's just so much easier and it keeps that flow going i can then move along uh and i can understand on a player's side how that might not be as fun because, you know, you, you want to roll a hit and then you want to see how much damage did I get with my, you know, 4d6 guiding bolt or, you know, my 8d6 fireball or something like that. I will say he is talking about building a superhero campaign. And I think that's really important in that way in terms of and we'll get into this. But in terms of system that you're using, because if we go back to the Marvel face rip system, that's static damage, you know. If Thor punches you, he hits you for unearthly 100. That's it, you know. But in something like 5e, and I think this is where you guys were going too, is it's going to kind of take away from some classes. You know, my longsword is cool. A fireball is way cooler, you know, in yeah, terms of damage. I cast, yeah, and I can only cast fireball once. There's some re- resource economy there. But, yeah, you like – Two hits from a paladin aren't two hits uh, from a bard, you know, so to speak, or something like that. So it's difficult. You'd have to have a lot of parity in your classes to be able to have a system where it's completely based on hits and static damage. But I will say, like, at first I was really super static damage. I like it at the higher levels, but sometime at the lower levels, like when we were playing some of the Fandelver stuff, it's like, I don't know if it's, it's always just that damage there. Obviously, when you get a critical... It's a thing, but if you're fighting a whole bunch of uh, skeletons or zombies or whatever, it's this damage if they hit you, which actually, to its point, helps to facilitate some quickness and it kind of keeps the game rolling there. But there is something to it. Like, I think, Tony, you're winning me for a little bit <laughs> with your, uh, you know, that the, it provides it's kind of what makes it a game. I think it's good for controlling the pace and finding good things, but it's kind of what makes a game. But yeah, no way rolling out uh, like, yeah, like a 20d6 or any of that stuff. Yeah, that stuff is straight static damage. I kind of like in the Ragnarok game, when I throw an area effect on there, I just don't say to you guys, hey, it's 35 damage save for half. Because you get some interesting results, some true randomness from the dice. I've rolled some dis- shockingly disappointing and shockingly very deadly results in a spot that I wasn't expecting. And that's cool. Dave gave me a sword at one point in the Curse of Strahd game that did basically max damage on every hit. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And you're like, well, what didn't you like about that? Well, I don't know. Have you ever seen a boxing match? I bet you have. And these guys are hitting each other for freaking 30 minutes. Are all those punches doing the same damage? The hell they are. It just cinematically... Fitting in the continuity of your game, it just doesn't jive. Yeah, and like I was – yeah, like I was just saying, I think that 
on a DM side, and that's why I, I have moved to, to pretty much static damage across the board. I, I don't roll anymore. I roll my D20. I have it there, and I have one set of dice. I don't have to have, you know, 12 D8s out there and be calculating it up, especially when I'm running five and six players at the table. But on the player side, I absolutely like rolling the damage. There's just something about it. Chris, you have said it on multiple occasions. It's just fun rolling the dice. Just get them rolling. There's something to that. So on the player side, so to what Jedi Shocker was saying, and he did build out that like a cantrip would be a different level of hit than a, a level two spell or power would be as opposed to a punch or a long, whatever his heroes are using or whatever your characters are using. But there is still something to be said about being able to have all the funny dice and roll them and then add it up and see what happens, you know, see that, uh, what did one of you guys got? I think, Oh, Bonnie last night, she rolls out a, uh, a firebolt, uh, so she it's 2d10 at this point and she got two and Tony I think you said well it's it's 2d10 and she's like yeah I know it's a one <laughs> and a one and I was like yeah I mean you can roll between two and 20 so yeah, that was a cold firebolt yeah and as a player that's that's fun as the dm though I think it's a little I, I can understand where he's coming from with that we've all kind of done it the idea of a dm decision helper with rolling where which one is it? Is the person attacking high or low? Give me high oh, or low. Point. One to two is this person. Three to four is this person. Five to six is you, right? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. What I do love you think it. about that as far as, I mean, as far as a way to help to make it democratic and to kind of speed things along, right? And take your feelings or anything out, like besides that out of it. I mean, yeah, not every creature is going to move with the strategy of Alexander the Great. I mean, let, let's just be honest. And I would never not roll dice in a situation where the players had a chance to showcase their abilities. And even in really in every check, even if it seems like a cinch, there it, there needs to be that chance of either a great success or a failure. It has to keep it interesting. Like Rasquedo can't always persuade. Like that. <laughs> yeah. As no, we absolutely. saw last night, even with some very simple saves or simple checks, people still, even with bumps, you'll still roll a two at times. And, you know, when you're level 20, you can roll a two and maybe still get it, right? But prior to that, it's not happening. But, yeah, Chris, to your point with that, I absolutely like it. I don't want to overuse it, though. So similar to what Tony was saying, if it's a beast of the field, then it's going to be somewhat random or it's going to go after – uh, who went after it, you know, so who's in its sights or where it thinks it's going to get that meal from. But in the same way, I'm going to have them run away, too, because that meal punched back. Uh, but with someone like a Strahd um, or some of the, the villains that you guys are going to be facing in Dragonlance, they're going to start to go after like they're going to to look at the cleric. They're going to look at the, the paladin first. They're going to try to take out or separate people. They're going to use strategy. So I, I don't want to roll for that. No, but as a way when it's just you're bodied up with three people, the, the creature's bodied up with three people, and you just want to make it simple and easy. Yeah, and you, like, as much as we, you know, you don't mind blasting into characters. I just did, I blasted into Matt's monk last night. Uh, they were fighting some wraiths. And I'm using static damage, like I said. So I hit him with the life drain. I hit him twice. He failed his save both times. 
So his max damage went down 42 hit points. Max hit points. His, yeah, his max hit points went down 42, 42 points. So he had a maximum level six of five hit points until he long rested again. Like that's that's big time. And like I'll do that if that's just how it rolls out. But I don't want to gang up on one player just to be like kind of douchey about it, you know. So you kind of spread them out when you're rolling even. Like, okay, you're getting one, you're getting one, you're getting one. No, I think it's like with any of these kind of things, it's it, you use it when it works. You can try things out. If you like it, you can kind of keep going with it. If you don't like it, you can pull it out. Just kind of, you know, you kind of keep it up with the players and stuff like that if you're changing mechanics or doing different things. But it's just, you know. I feel like, yeah, in mass combat, like if there's a lot of things happening, static damage does make a lot of sense. But, you know, it, you do sacrifice a little bit of that, that flavor option. Um, I would use dice and have in the past to pull a player back into a scene who seems like they're kind of drifting off because perhaps they don't feel like they have anything to contribute. Mm. But as a DM, I am aware that, yes, you do. I'm like, oh, why don't you try this? And you'll remember that thing that you're not thinking of right at this moment. I think that's and very much so like expertise classes and stuff like that. It's like there's a whole skill section there on the character sheet, right? And each of them is a role. So, I mean, they are all opportunities for uh, things, you know, very often we're a lot of perception, right? And stealth and those kind of things in there, say insight and stuff like that. But there's so many opportunities to be able to uh, use those. And especially for classes like that, where a lot of it is the, that's a big part of their class features is they're, you know, having a lot of skills being somewhat, uh, you know, well, yeah, first. cards, rogues. I mean, you dump a ton of resources into those. Uh, so, yeah, that is a good point, though, to bring them back into the action. Uh, if they're drifting off, if there's not a lot happening, because the minute somebody is rolling something, they're very involved. I mean, it's just what's going to happen. They're physically rolling something. They're looking at the number. They're hoping to hit a target number. We all know how this works. Um, but that is that is a great way um but, you know, in in, a, in terms of a combat situation, you're already getting that even with a static damage thing. I think that's more of a, a personal like you kind of want a little bit more with rolling damage, but you're still rolling to hit. So you're still actively engaged in that fashion. Uh, so I think that's a little different. But like Tony said, like in the rest of the game, you know, when to roll and when not to when to utilize that as a tool to engage players. Roll me this, roll me that. So uh, a place where I would, I've actually kind of like over time, I've learned not to uh, ask for a role is, and I feel like a lot of DMs, and I've been guilty of this myself in my career, is when we're doing a role play situation where a player who's not a charisma based character is involved and they're trying to participate and we're making them roll frequently or making them roll at a key point, even if they themselves are making a very good point. And th there's a time for that. Like if you're trying to persuade somebody, if you're trying to deceive somebody, you're trying to intimidate somebody, you're really trying to change their mind. And maybe that and the charisma person should be involved in together. But a good point is a good point. Otherwise, your guys who don't have a 16 plus charisma and persuasion proficiency aren't going to talk. Yeah, we've talked about that at other times as well, that, you know, it kind of takes the martial classes out of anything that's not combat. And it takes, you know, rogues maybe out of anything that's not stealthing or or robbing something or or un, or opening a door is that, oh, well, now, like my bard Roderick, 
right? He, at this point, like he can literally cannot not persuade somebody into something. I mean, my, my skill set is so high. My bonuses are so high, but then now I'm the only person that is engaged and rolling in that way. Yes. But his, but his curve is role play the bard, right? That's what he does. The fighter, like in the, in a fight, the bard is less capable than the fighter of being able to execute in combat. Right. Where the fighter really uh, stars there, like, you know, obviously having everyone have an opportunity for role play. But I mean, if, you know, and with any kind of role play, if you're talking too much and you're not rolling the dice, you're basically talking amongst yourselves. You're LARPing, you know, around the table. If I'm not rolling and having it be the character that's making the plea and failing at it or not. Right. Whether the strength of my the strength of my performance at the table could provide me with advantage on the role or something like that. But the actual decision is him doing it, not me doing it. You know what I'm saying? To me talking to the DM, it's my character talking to the, you know, the villain or whatever the NPC that the, uh, the DM is running. We have definitely run into that, Tony. We ran into that several times in the Woodstock game where players who are very, uh, very verbose and very easy to role play and talk will take over the conversation if you're you know talking with the duke or the king and if we're not asking for roles for much less input from other people but other roles that can just start to in the same way that combat can slog you can almost get into a role play slog where now you're just in this you know two people talking to themselves and the dm it's hard to come out of that because you're having to engage with this person you know so knowing when to maybe check for a role Use that as a as a break in the action, as a way. I feel, and this may not be a popular point, but I'm going to throw it out here. I feel like a DM in any given scene should have a general idea of where it needs to be cut. Because I've been in all kinds of snares and not just shopping. I mean, but like we're just going <laughs> around in a big circle and I'm like, hey, I've seen that tree before like three times. Can we move on? Big bad parliament. Yeah. <laughs> if I could just get left. But so, like, it's funny. Yeah, that brings up a good point, though. Like, and it's kind of something we were doing in the game, the Greyhawk game. And that is as a I kind of put it here as a dungeon crawl lubricant, right, where it's less trademark. time worrying about direction and more time worrying about playing the dungeon itself. Right. So we would get to eventually we kind of got there was an east west problem. And so our mapping kind of failed and we just started rolling the D4 Probably to my decide, fault. okay, this is, you know, go you know, east, north or west, you know, kind of whatever. And that was, it really took, uh, it sped things up amazingly so that it was, there wasn't, we didn't have to stop and decide amongst four or five people, well, what direction do we want to go? Like, it was like, okay, you're going this direction and now, okay, there's a door there or there's another passageway or there's a chamber there. And it just kind of kept things rolling in a way that I thought was cool. It's always nice to have some level of exploration. It just sort of made the crawl very nice and tight, like neat and tidy. So, as a as just kind of a backdrop, so we get some context for this. That kind of came about uh, with the recent one shot that Tony ran through uh, because we had a player that was missing from uh, the Ragnarok game. Uh, so Tony decided. Tony decided to run us through, in essence, a shared dream, dream sequence through one of the adventures in the classic module Castle Greyhawk from uh, from AD&D, uh, which is a wild, wild. I mean, Tony wrote a whole article about it. You can you can find that on our on our socials. So 
it kind of fit because the dungeon itself, we did, we were going very theater of the mind. We didn't have a map in front of us. So I had started to draw a map, trying to kind of be the mapper in a way to know which way are we going? Because now we're just in this dungeon and we don't know what the hell's going on, you know, and it's a weird dungeon. So at one point I realized that my mapping was completely off because there was communication breakdown between Tony and I. Like we didn't really know which way was which uh, between the two of us. Like it wasn't coming through to me. So at one point he's like, well, you guys want to go west, north, east? And we're like, I don't even know what that means right now. So I just started rolling a D4 and I said two and Tony ran with that and took it. And for that dungeon, I think it works because that dungeon is weird and crazy. And it almost feels like the, the labyrinth would be shifting while you're walking through it. So you really don't know, but in a much more concrete one, like let's say Fandelver, like when we were going through Cragmall Castle. That, that's not the time to use something like that, though, right? right? Because we can see it. We know which way we want to go. I get, I, but I guess, I mean, in many ways, we would just kind of toss it out. we go, like, does, does everybody want to go this way? And they'd be like, eh, I guess, okay. Like, or what about this way and stuff like that? But that, just as an option, just to kind of um, take out the directionality of it and just focus on the exploration of the dungeon itself, get the ball rolling. I got to tell you, a, a, die, a die roll to settle an argument can be a lifesaver and sometimes you get a bad decision but sometimes you'll sit around the table for 15 minutes and still come up with a bad decision we were in a game we talked about where we're going to sleep for 18 minutes we don't need to do that just roll a die are we going to stay in the valley we go up the hill up the hill up the hill is done the dice the dice spoke we're done we're moving on to the content yeah bonnie is uh, famous for that she will use the die for everything any decision even if it's not the time to use it she's nope yeah, roll a D20 or odds evens, whatever it might be, you know, but it does. It does. Here we are. OK, a decision has been made. We're moving along here. Right. Because you can get lost in that. Not the combat slog, but the decision making slog, the role play slog, the exploration slog. We spend a lot of time deciding which way to go and those kind of things because there's tension about it, which there should be. But sometimes it's you spend a lot of time at the table where it could be better spent on actually getting to the action. So something to help spur that along is always good. You're right. There should be a degree of tension. But like when we're doing um, Jungles of Cholt uh, for uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, you know, I mean, and I have said this before, you couldn't have gotten me out into that jungle I mean, I don't know what you would have had to have paid me. Like, we're just hanging out in town. The town's attacked by undead. And they're like, hey, could you go out in that jungle and go look for shit? And I'm like, you can go outside and play hide and go F yourself. I am not <laughs> doing that. Why? Because some people can't be raised from the dead. Well, that really sucks for them. But, yeah, they're going to eat my brains. So, yeah, a little different in terms of that's that's uh, that comes more towards the, the difficulty with adventure hooks. But as a very uh, as a as an aside with that, uh, that is a rampant thing current, especially with 5e currently, uh, because they are attempting to fit the hex crawl idea from OD&D and basic D&D into the current system. But they are not providing enough tools and enough resources within which to really run a hex crawl in a way that is satisfying or enjoyable after the first like five hexes 
uh, which has forced all of us, Chris, when you were running Tomb of Annihilation, <laughs> to start to build out things, kind of cobbled together. How do I make this hex crawl interesting and and fun and different and right. and seem like that? And it led me with Dragonlance and the Northern Waste to literally start to build out an entire hex crawl game that we are currently playtesting. And you know, stay tuned because we might have more information about that as we as we go. But we're just kind of playtesting what it is now. But it's something that allows you to actually run a hex crawl in a way that's a little more satisfying, and it actually matters somewhat you know uh, yeah though no, we're finding ways to make it a little it can get to be a slog if every you know you have to make sure that it's a thing like with tomb uh, a lot of people they talk about they use it a lot from uh first to fifth level and that kind of thing and after that point the heroes rise to a level that they kind of want to get the story rolling or they want to get them to places and so then you could kind of take a hex crawl and maybe you say instead of every one hex, it's every couple hexes or something like that to be able to move it out. But it's uh, it's such a great system for being able to communicate travel and to be able to calculate that whole big part that's right everything between the village where you found out about it to the ruins where you're going to go fight the ghoul king or whatever like that. There's that whole couple days adventure in there that gets compressed into a couple nights watches or something like that with a hex crawl, you get uh, you know, some random adventures, different things happening and stuff like that. It's got a little bit more feeling like that's part of the uh, game as well. This has come around several times now. We've all said it and we've all kind of re- referred to it. I think in the end, what this is really getting at is rolling dice. If, if it assists or detracts from this slog, Whatever might be where the game starts to grind down to a halt or it's not it's becoming mechanical. It's not there's not tension to it. To Tony's point with rolling the damage dice, there's a tension of I could really blast this with some max damage or I could get two. Right. So there's that tension to that. There's tension to, uh, you know, to exploration. There's tension to role play. But it's when that slog begins to happen and that doesn't just have to do and i think this is an important point that doesn't just have to do with the dice rolling because if we go to our osr games that we've run there's a ton of dice rolling you guys are rolling to hit you guys are rolling damage you guys are rolling to check for traps you guys are rolling perception whatever and that game runs lightning fast as we went over several uh several episodes ago and in some articles as well um and you're rolling all the time so it's not just the dice rolling that is creating it in especially 5e though what really what we have all found is it's all of the things that i can do during that time where i get to roll dice as a player as a dm whatever whatever side of the table you're on you get to do all this stuff so i'm moving and i'm attacking maybe maybe i'm doing some damage maybe i have another attack I also have that bonus action. I also have this reaction that I'm going to use. I'm also going to spend a, a key point, let's say, and I'm going to, right? And it's, so your turn now is like five turns. And rolling dice for all of those is where that slog can come in. But only if that slog is happening, right? I think time is the key point there. Because why why did Curse of Strahd take place over, you know, three weeks Barely, because we weren't traveling anywhere. And Chris, I thought you did a, a good job with the, with uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, trying to make that interesting. But every like you have to transform 
this journey, like every like these key key steps of the way have to have something interesting and meaningful there. I mean, as a random account, a pure act like good, sure, but that can't be the norm. I just can't be running through this this forest jungle, sailing in the ship, and just randomly be bombarded with random things, and that becomes a slog too. Yeah. But if you don't, then it's like, well, I've been an adventurer for two months and I'm level eleven. And I think a little bit, it's like DM is umpire. Like you have to kind of keep the guys going along. Like, okay, like you kind of like, even when you're up there running Dragonlance, right? You're standing up, you like to stand there or whatever and stuff like that. And yes, you I like to help people through the turn. You let the, you know, let the next person know that they're up and stuff like that. And you can kind of help to measure that bit with role play or other things when you know you need to throw a role in there. You kind of have to act as a, a bit of a, you know, the park ranger or the umpire kind of keep people moving along here. Well, I would say, I mean, both of you guys were in the, uh, in the curse of Strahd game. Uh, both of you guys were in the Dragonlance game from my memory. Currently in our 12 sessions, I have not felt like a slog has occurred in any of the combats yet. I'm going to say that as opposed to Strahd, I felt like there were several combats that got real sloggy. Have you guys experienced that? combat can be sloggy i mean usually if it's sloggy it's because there are people who aren't totally familiar with their abilities or stuff like that that can slow it down or i don't know what to do i'm not necessarily prepared uh rolling into that kind of thing like that but uh besides that i wouldn't say slog no uh i was on the business end of some of the static damage where i got the only time that sir william was taken out was by a horse so i mean you know (laughs) Oh, well, that's, you know, not, that's not sloggy. Yeah. That's just, you know, well, I, mean, I, 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 mean, I think a lot of slog is decision, though, right? It's, yes. It's combat is where combat is D&D at its purest, right? It's there's a strict set of rules. You go next. These are the things you can do. There's a lot to do there, so you have to keep it moving along. But then you move into that area where you're talking about things or you're exploring. And there's there's that turn there. Do you want to take that turn into the dark alley or something like that? And Everyone has to start deciding on it. It's an important part of it, but that's where you can start to have, you know, it's not neat and tidy like combat is where you can measure it, you know. So. Yeah, so it's really, we've said it many, many times. We keep saying it in the same way. You really have to read your table, and that's what it really comes down to. Understanding what slog looks like, because you have to experience it. You, you're going to be in it, and you have to know what that feels like and what it looks like. And then you can start to understand when, how you can change those things. And we go over a lot of the ways that many other DMs talk about as well, where you can change the dial on hit points. You can have them run away, all types of things. You can make it the, that that blow is now the killing blow. But ways that you can read it when that tension is starting to wane slightly. And not just one player or something, but like the table kind of grinds down. And you know that they all see that. We know that we've won this, so now we just have to keep hitting the hit points until we're until we knock them out. Like that's where that's where it really goes downhill. If you're doing a mass combat, then sometimes you need an objective in there other than let's kill absolutely everything on this map right now. So if we're like we're trying to take down the enemy commander, extract a spy, whatever we're doing, there's a lot going on and that's fine. But we should have a chance to opportunity you know, to handle that versus we're just going to push our way through and cut down all these guys as all these endless waves of faceless soldiers come in for reinforcements. We're also mowing them down. 
No, I mean, and I think it's like what you do with your skill challenges and stuff like that. Anything you're rolling there makes it a game all of a sudden, right? The rest of the time, we're kind of just we're just playing GI Joes out back or something like that. It's it's <laughs> adding the roles in there that really provide that level of randomness and yes. stuff like that and a different edge to it. So anytime you can sort of introduce those kind of things, journey mechanics, random encounters, don't not just random monster encounters, please. Don't just do those. Have other things in there. It should be like a mix of things. It's a random thing that happens. It doesn't have to be a random combat, but those kind yeah. of things really are really cool ways to use rolling to make it more like a game, right? These things happen because the dice rolled this, not because I, you know, I may have prepared the table that this came from, but it was this dice roll at this time at the table that made this come into being inside the story. So, yeah, I would say I actually played that. Uh, I keep referring because we just, we just played last night. So I keep referring to this session because I think there were several times where these types of things came in. And one of them was at the end with the ritual, so just as some context uh, and backstory, so Scott's cleric, uh, Eva, that we've talked about, they were in the, for anyone who's playing Dragonlance, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not and you want to uh, come back in like a minute and a half, um, but they were at the <laughs> Sunward Fortress in the Northern Wastes. They had gotten down to where the spawning shard is. They had defeated uh, Veruza, who was there, that had been uh, transform so it was it was a, it was a fun way t- for Dragonlance to somehow introduce slod into the adventure like i was like cool, i was expecting that yeah no, i wasn't oh, either and i'm like oh they're oh, doing slotty okay done got you i don't have any slot minis so we're just gonna make this up but okay and they decided even though behind the screens here there was no mechanic for the spawning shard being destroyed really i mean it had like if you wanted to hit on it or something you could probably break it you could bury it you know who there was it was open you know you guys decided we need to take care of this thing we need to destroy it and i'm like all right they're gonna figure something out let's roll with this and you guys are all running around trying to figure out scott decides i would like to walk down and i want to empty every spell slot into this thing and i went huh Okay, this is that it it interested me as a DM. I went, this is interesting. And I was like, and this is going to be real tough for you because you're asking something big. Right. So it's going to be a big ask on your end, too. So in the end, what happened was Eva, uh, in essence, gets killed. She's destroyed by the power coming from Mishakal into the shard. It explodes. She gets flung back. I end the session on that. Uh, So it was one of them times where I could end it on the cliffhanger. Fast forward now, they had to, I I had a mechanic here that you guys figured out through plot devices that (laughs) you could find this druid of the desert who wandered around the northern waste and you could have her perform this ritual that could hopefully bring Eva back, right? Because she was like stuck between worlds. Okay, so. I had this whole thing at the end where each of you, I had you doing something. You had to give of something of yourself. Right? There was a lot of role play. There was a lot of character and story stuff. But it was just me telling you this stuff is happening. And at the end of it, I made you all roll something. I made Chris, I made your bard roll some performance checks. Tony, I made you do. I think uh, I think I just had you empty all your spell slots into it. Uh, I had everyone roll something or do something, and I was doing that because I was realizing, oh, man, like, I'm just telling them. Like, they're not – It's like a soliloquy. 
<laughs> yeah, they're not active in this. So I was like, okay, um, roll me a performance check. Okay, roll me a wisdom check. Roll me to try to like give you some level of like we're involved in this thing. I don't know if that came out that way, if it looked real, like it was planned that way, or if I just... It was like we were playing but, D&D. Like, so yeah. the point is that the skill checks are that... I mean, combat is a big part of it, you know, and you can do some skill checks in combat, but for the rest of the time, I mean, there is all those things, and, you know, there's all kinds of roles that can be made about all different things that people are asking about trying to do or whatever like that, so... Hmm. You, you know where I don't uh, do any random rolls for? Yeah. Treasure. Very rarely, because I've been on the shit end of that stick so many times in my career where it's like, like DM rolls. All right, there's some treasure here, and it's good treasure. Let me roll this this solid chart here. Here we go. All right, Tony, you get a plus one Kopesh sword. And this is back in a time where unless you had a Kopesh sword proficiency, you're screwed. Okay. And <laughs> Tom, here is like a plus just, one paperweight. Yeah. So my elf standing here with this Egyptian sword. And Tom, you got a plus one hand axe. Great, great. And Jer, you got a plus five great sword. We'll enjoy that. And we're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely gonna create a lot of um FOMO and not in a good way. You know, fear of missing out of, you know, somehow being the favorite oh, or something. Yeah. No, stay on top of magic items and treasure in the campaign because you want to make sure that everyone's getting a, a everyone's getting something or getting a, a taste of it there around the table there because it can be, you know, it can be difficult. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think it's probably getting about that time now. Um, this was very interesting. We kind of took a listener question into something completely different, but like rolling right because it's so important in the whole game it's kind of what the whole game is built off of so when to roll when not to roll final thoughts well uh to just come back to his question real fast if he's considering tiers the marvel uh multiverse game operates on six tiers perhaps he wants to check that out and perhaps use that as inspiration but static damage for the players mm, sometimes yes sometimes no not really a fan of that uh, I would use die rolls to allow the players to have agency, showcase their abilities, and help move things along or bring somebody back in that perhaps doesn't feel like they have a uh, a dog in this particular race of that scene that's going along. So all those could be very helpful tools. Definitely uh, use it to control the pace of the game, like we talk about the slog. Make sure you're using it for all your skill checks, the bazillion of skills uh, that, you know, everyone has on their character sheets there as uh, use different uh, ways of rolling that uh, journey mechanics, uh, different types of random encounters where it's not just creature encounters, uh, stuff like that. Static damage and initiative for ways to be able to free up by not rolling the negative space there where it helps to facilitate you um, being a little bit more engaged at the table rather than having to roll some extra things there that aren't necessarily as important. So uh, my first thing is something I, I think I feel like a broken record a lot of times, but I think it's so important. You really got to focus in on what system you're playing with this, because that can really change how this works. I said, if you were doing something like Marvel face rip, it's all static because that's just what it does. It does excellent damage. It does unearthly damage, whatever it might be. Um, and that's just how the how the system is built out. But I would say I don't think that with 5e you necessarily want to because you can very quickly run away, run into taking away from certain classes. Some classes are now handicapped in ways that they don't need to be. 
In terms of systems, though, I would check out um, – well, one, if you haven't yet, check out the Marvel Face Rip system because it's it's classic, and it's classic for a reason. I know we grew up with it, but I find their the universal table to actually be pretty intuitive in terms of how it how it runs that stuff. Regardless, we could talk about that another day. If you haven't yet either, like Tony said, definitely check out the Marvel D1, uh, the 616 system that they have. We had play tested it, and from what I'm hearing, they have really uh, ramped up and really tightened it up too. It's getting a lot of really great feedback out there. And on a third note, uh, our friends over at Crit Academy, they had actually updated, they had taken the 5e mechanics and made uh, their superhero game called Capes and Crooks. Uh, I can put the link for it down in the uh, in the, the show notes if you take a look at it. Uh, they sent us the play test, and it literally is like you took 5e and just and reskinned it with superheroes and they have their own city and everything. It, it looked pretty cool. We didn't play test it, unfortunately, but we kind of knew it cause it was five E. So know the system that you're playing in. Um, and I would say with rolling when to roll, when not to roll is it all comes down to what we were talking about. It runs around that idea of slog, whether it's combat slog, which we all know, but slog happens with role play slog happens with exploration and die rolls can as Tony said, make decisions, even if they're not helpful. They can lubricate the dungeon, right? Even if it's not necessarily the way you wanted to go. Uh, but it can also interrupt if you're in, if you're lost in something, whether you're lost in bags of hit points, you're lost in some role play that's really just gotten out of hand. And this person is now running Hamlet at your table and you really don't know how to get out of it. Have somebody else roll a die, have them perceive something, whatever, right? But yeah, I would just say really look for slog because it doesn't always have to do with rolling dice. Uh, that's not always what's creating the slog. I would actually say it's probably very few times is, is actually that, unless it's 20d6 and then fuck that. I, I stop. <laughs> Hit the button on roll 20. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just always have roll 20 open. You don't have to be in it, but just use the die, the die roller for it. And I mean, I don't even have to try this week for it, but like you're literally rolling or not rolling. Check out our affiliate link at FanRoll Dice. I mean, good God, that literally wrote itself. <laughs> but if you go to the link, it's FanRollDice.com slash R-E-F slash 2871. You get 10% off your order. Uh, it's It's that simple. So anyway. Uh, that's going to be it. This has been great, guys. Jedi Shocker, thank you again. And please, guys, send in your questions. Uh, we love helping DMs with problems because that's what we are. So as we will do each week, uh, we're going to let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. Guys, thanks for stopping by and doing another episode of Three Wise DMs. This question came from a listener who sent it in to us. If you're listening and you'd like us to answer your question, please send it in. We're always looking for reader questions to answer. You know, we're the podcast for DMs with problems. We're here to help you with your problems. So send in anything you want to hear us talk about. Send it in, and we'll see if we can work it into an episode. You can do that by going to 3wisedms.com and entering it in the What's Your Problem field. You can send it to us directly through email at 3wisedms at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active in all those channels. We're always looking for new questions. 
If you liked what you heard tonight, please give it a five-star rating in your podcast platform. That really helps us get the word out. Also, tell your friends. Share it on share it on Facebook or wherever, or wherever, you, uh, wherever you do your social media because that stuff helps us grow, and we really appreciate that. You know, audience growth is really important. Getting you know, listeners like you, you know, telling the world that they enjoy our show is really important, and that's the number one thing you can do to help us. So if you, if you feel like we're good, please don't be shy. Don't be shy about, about, about sharing us out. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Three Wise DM. Thank you.